Good morning, men. Glad everybody's here. Up and rolling this morning. We're going to jump right in here. Two quick things. Remember the index cards that are in the middle of your table. Okay? The index cards, write down a prayer request. Throw it in the middle of the table. If you write one down, pick one up and pray for the guy this week. It's a great idea one of the guys in here had to help us be praying for each other in our groups throughout the week. The other thing, group leaders, be sure you do the attendance for us in there to help us kind of make sure we have that as well. I hope you guys had a great week going through Max Anders' book and the book of Nehemiah. It's a pretty amazing book. Jason's going to talk with us, uh, share with us about um, this morning. So let me get us started with a word of prayer, and then we'll just dive in and let him get after it. Father, this morning, as we get here, all of us are probably kind of hurried and rushed and just trying to get in the morning. I pray that you'd wake us up, give us ears to really hear what your spirit might say to us. Lord, um, speak through Jason. Thank you for his heart and desire to serve us. And um, Lord, around our tables, I pray that there would just be a real sense of your Holy Spirit's presence today. Help us look into each other's heart, draw it out, and um, really see your presence as men doing life together. Lord, this morning is yours. We give it to you. Be honored in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, brother. Good morning, guys. If it's your first time here, welcome. We love having you guys here. Um, my name is Jason Illion. I'm one of the volunteer leaders here for Summit and some of the guys' ministry. And uh, the volunteer, I want to stress the word volunteer, meaning I am not on staff. I'm just like every one of you guys that after this I get to go to work. And, uh, you know, it was a volunteer because, um, kind of interesting story, we're talking about during my interview process here, we were sitting around with, you know, Kyle and Todd and those guys and talking about what we can do and interviewing me for like a role here and what that would look like. And so as we're sitting there, Todd said something like, well, you know, if you're on staff here, we just need you to do something kind of pastoral. And so I, I passed an offering plate and uh, that didn't, wasn't pastoral enough apparently, so that's why I'm a volunteer. Um, you know, one of the things I love about kind of getting to hang out with the guys at Watermark, and this is both guys that are on staff and, and the rest of us, right? The, what I like to call the sheepdogs. A lot of times we talk about people that are on staff are the shepherds, right? They're the vocational pastors, but the rest of us are the sheepdogs. We're the ones that get to go out there every day amongst the wolves and get a chance to share the good word with the people that are with us. And one of the things that I love about being with the guys here is not only do they have a huge heart for God, and they're living it out on a daily basis, but they're also having fun doing it, right? Sometimes as guys, we come to church or we come to an event and it just feels stiff, right? We don't even know if we're laugh. Somebody says something funny, we look around, should we laugh? I don't know, should we laugh? I don't know. And with the guys here at Watermark, they're always having fun. And one of the things that happened recently or one of the things that I did, and I'm not even gonna tell you to which pastor, you're gonna have to figure this out yourself. It says, all scriptures God breathe, Right? Remember the word, all scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. So the man of God is thoroughly equipped for every good work. So do any of you have friends that they always send you scripture and email? Right? Some may be sending you scripture all the time. And so when you send something back, you know they're not reading it. Right? So one of the pastors here, one of the senior pastors here, were sending me, we were 
emailing back and forth, and I sent something, and he sent something, and I'm, you know, I'm trying to get to a point where I make sure I look something up, that it sinks in my heart, and I sent something back. And his response to me was very clear that he is not reading any scripture that I sent him, right? So remember, all scripture is God-breathed, right? So I thought, well, I'm just going to send him some scripture. So I said, well, I think at this point that what's very applicable to us is uh, Leviticus 22:24, And I kept writing on, just talking about small group and study and said, tell me what you think, right? Just wrote back, totally skipped over. Leviticus 22:24. You must not offer to the Lord an animal whose testicles are bruised, crushed, torn, or cut. That was wonderful. The fact that one of our pastors still doesn't know that that's what I was referring to when I was talking about community group, it's going to be fun when he figures out that that is the, the scripture that I had in there. And you may be asking yourself, what does that have to do with the study today? Absolutely nothing. That was completely free. No, I hope you guys had a good time studying through this week. What we've been studying, if you've been through Max Anders' books and through Nehemiah, through Max Anders so far, we went through the historical books, right? The poetic books, the prophetic books, all this week. So basically, you guys have read through about half the Old Testament this week alone. So if you had a chance to go through that, you're pretty much just um, snorkeling, right? You haven't had a chance to go deep into any of that stuff because you've got to go too fast to cover all that. But the great thing is, and I keep hearing this as we have more and more conversations, is it's giving us a framework, which is exactly what we're trying to do, guys, is create a framework for understanding what is God setting us up with, both in the Old and New Testament, to better understand this person of Jesus Christ? Billy Graham used to talk about this all the time, that when he was preaching, no matter what he talked about, he goes, it was the same sermon. It all came back to Christ, him crucified, the forgiveness of our sins, and the fact that he was our Lord, Lord and Savior. He goes, I may start in the Old Testament, I may start in the New Testament. He goes, I could start in Deuteronomy, I could start in Matthew. He goes, it doesn't matter, it always came back to Jesus. And so this is really what Max Anders is trying to prepare us for, is to say, all these stories that are starting to line up, what do they have to do? And today, really what I want to spend some time on is because we don't, don't have time to dive deep into each one, is to just focus on Nehemiah. And if you have your Bibles with you, you know, bring them out to, to Nehemiah. And last week when we were sitting at the tables um, and afterwards, one of the guys asked, and I think it's a really legitimate question, because when you have this much material, or you're getting up in the morning and you're spending time with God, how do you focus your time? What does that look like? Some guys have, like, well, I read for 20 minutes. Some say, well, I, you know, listen to some worship music before I have. To me, the one thing that always has come in useful for me, and this is really just what God puts on your heart, is just reading until you have that aha moment, right? Read, study, pray until God moves something into you, until he stirs something in you. Sometimes that takes me 20, 30 minutes. Sometimes that literally takes me 15 seconds. Is whenever I read over something and God grabs my heart with something that this is something that I need to focus on, right? I'm no longer snorkeling, I'm scuba diving. When you get that aha moment, don't lose it. That's the thing you should focus on. And this week for me, it was Nehemiah. The great thing, the great thing at our house with our three little kids, seven, five, and three, every day I always ask them, what's your highs and what's your lows? Like, what are the best things of your day and what are the worst parts of your day? And the highs and lows of studying it this week for me was the highs, 
I love to get to go through all this stuff. The low is I can't possibly dive into all of the stuff that I need to know. There's just too much material there. There's too many things. And so it's, it's hard to do a deep dive into all this material. So what I would tell you as you're studying through this every day, don't worry about covering, you know, half the Old Testament. Sometimes you'll have one verse that you need to focus on. There will be one thing that should be important to you. And this, and what I'd like, hopefully we'll go through today and will um, be on your heart is just the leadership qualities of Nehemiah. Now, if you read through our notes, it's already going to talk about leadership. So I don't need to necessarily hit on the fact of leading in the home or leading at work or leading with your family. You can read about that. We'll talk about that at the tables. But there's some things that are around that and underlying with it that are hugely important. So, book of Nehemiah, right? Let's put some bookends around what's happening at the, at the time. 586 BC, the Jews are taken in exile into Babylon, Right? Nobody's in Jerusalem, or very few are in Jerusalem anymore. The book of Nehemiah comes at a time where it's roughly 90 years later, right? 50 years beforehand, uh, Zerubbabel went back and started rebuilding the temple. So they rebuilt the temple. About 13 years prior to what we're about to read in Nehemiah, Ezra came back to Jerusalem. And this is a time that now comes in where we land in Nehemiah. And what's, who is Nehemiah? What's he doing? Well, he's just a cupbearer, right? This has been 90 years since leaving Jerusalem. So guess what? He doesn't have any connections to Jerusalem, right? This is like us saying, hey, we're going to go pray. And we're going to go rebuild stuff in California, even though we've never lived in California, right? This is just what we've heard from our fathers and our father's fathers. This is 90 years later. And who is he? He's a cupbearer. So he's at the right hand. He's serving Artaxerxes at the time. And he's going to come back. And basically, what everybody focuses on Nehemiah, he's going to come back and in 52 days rebuild the wall that goes around the city of Jerusalem. Now, that's the high level of this. But if this is what you're reading, you have to ask yourself a couple questions. How in the world did he rebuild something in 52 days that had been gone for 90 years? 90 years, there's been no wall. And in 52 days, he comes back and rebuilds the wall. Second piece is, how did he do this without any position or power? He's a cupbearer. It wasn't as if he was a military man. He wasn't the king. He wasn't a general. He was just a cupbearer. And third, how in the world did he get ordinary men, women, priests to help rebuild this wall, right? I can't even get my family to clean up the kitchen, right? And in 52 days, they're able to put a wall around the city. Now, walls in general, right? You probably see why it's important to have walls for security purposes, for commerce reasons, for military power. But there's, there was more to this wall than just this. So what I want to focus on here is, if you've got your Bible, go to Nehemiah chapter 2. And I want to highlight a couple things. Because there's something that really stood out to me when it came to leadership. And this is something God's been impressing on my heart for quite a while. So it's it's not surprising to me that he's opening my eyes to it again. So it's chapter 2, verse uh, 4 and 5. And so this is where uh, Nehemiah is with Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. And Artaxerxes says, hey, why are you so uh, sad and downcast? And he says, the king said to me, what do you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, let me, 
let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. It says, the king said to me, what do you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. Did you notice what just happened? As soon as he asked him, Nehemiah prayed and answered. How many of you are guilty of telling people, you got a problem? I'm going to pray about that. Oh, oh, you know, I got a prayer request. I'm going to take it with me. This is not how Nehemiah prayed. Nehemiah prayed in the moment. He prayed continuously. He prayed and answered the king at that exact same time. And if you look at the Bible, I'm going to show you the scripture right here. There are eight or nine different times throughout Nehemiah that Nehemiah just breaks into spontaneous prayer, right? This is not the first time. If you look at uh, Nehemiah 1, verses 4, uh, 4 through 6, it says, uh, Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to the prayer your servant is praying before the day and night of your servants. And then it's, it happens again in uh, 2.4. And then it keeps going on and on and on. Nehemiah 4, 4 through 5, Nehemiah 5, 19. He is basically breaking down into spontaneous prayer. He is only leading. It is only a book of leadership because it's a book of prayer. See, what you want to walk away and what I want to walk away with is the fact that, well, praying is a part of leadership. And what Nehemiah is trying to teach us is praying is leadership. This isn't a part of it, gentlemen. This is absolutely why it's successful. I have the habit of like, well, I'm going to pray about it. And as soon as I got the answer, I'm good, God. No, you go do your thing. I got it. You told me what to do. But that's not how Nehemiah prayed. Nehemiah prayed and said, Lord, if it's your will to go this way or that, I'll do it. And when something came up, he prayed about it in the moment. And guess what? This is not surprising that he did this because what was his job before? He was the cupbearer. Do you know what the cupbearer's job was? The cupbearer's job was to drink the cup, sip the cup before the king, in case there was poison in it. You don't tell me that brother ain't been taking, saying some prayers before, dear Lord. Okay, you're good. Whew. Every day, it's the, he, he, you know, he was like a bomb technician, right? Every single time he's saying, dear Lord, please not let this be. This man was used to continuously praying, right? But guess what he was praying for? He was praying for a city that he knew nothing about, a place that he'd never been. And he was doing it continuously over and over. This wasn't about great leadership for the sake of leadership. If you come to this study, if you come to this church, if you come to the Word of God and you think it's about, here's 19 steps to great leadership, you're missing the point. Because it all starts with the power of prayer. Because in Luke chapter 11, 1, when Jesus got done praying and the disciples came to him and they said, what can I do for you? He said, they said, teach me how to pray. He said, all the things in the world you could teach me, I want to know that. Because when you pray, something happens. Right? Prayer was so important to Daniel that they're like, go ahead and throw me with the lions, but I am not giving up my three times of prayer. This was so important to Nehemiah that he did not take one step, one direction without prayer. Leadership was important to him. Leadership was big because he knew the power of prayer. He was consistent in this. He did this every day. He did this every moment inside the day. When was the last time you heard somebody say, they asked me a question and then I prayed to God and I answered? When's the last time you did that? I can't think of the last time I did it like this. Which, which explains to me why I spend so much time studying and processing. Listen, these other things we teach you, 
well, you should process with the men in your group, and we need to huddle on this, and we need to send you to Regen. Those are all great, wonderful things, but they lack any power without prayer. Because prayer is the power, right? If your car is dead, right? If anybody's ever had a dead battery, right? Your car is dead. Nothing in the car works without that battery, right? And you're parked there, and your buddy comes to jump you. What does he do? He puts the jumper cables on. Those jumper cables attach to the live battery, to your battery, and when he flips the switch and you turn it on, everything in your car lights up, right? Because you are connected to the power source. This is exactly what prayer is. Prayer is this jumper cable. The Holy Spirit's this jumper cable that you're dead. You're completely dead. You got no power to see the things eternal. That all of a sudden you plug into the power source and when God thinks something, boom, you think it. When God feels something, boom, you feel it. When God wants something, boom, you want it. Because you're plugged in. You got the jumper cable. You got the power. You got the Holy Spirit working. This is what Nehemiah was doing. The rest of this leadership, how you lead your family, how you lead your kids, it means nothing if you are not walking with the Savior on a daily basis. And how do you do that? You don't do this just because you read and get smart and knowledge. You don't do this because you come and be part of a community group. You don't do this because you got up at 6.30 on Thursday mornings and checked a box because you came to Summit. You do this because you abide with Christ on a daily basis through prayer. The problem that I have is that sometimes I just don't think that my prayer is going to be answered, right? My faith is so small. When God says, seek and you'll find, right? Knock and the door will be opened unto you. He's saying your prayers, every prayer that's prayed in my will and in my name will be answered. It's this consistency. Nehemiah had this consistency. He saw this consistency, right, in, a day, in his daily life. Um, I don't know if any of you are uh, college basketball fans, but in the 60s and 70s, there was a team called UCLA, right? This was under the great coach, John Wooden. And out of, just to tell a little bit about the legacy that they created, there was um, 10 out of 12 years during that time that they won a national championship, right? 10 out of 12 years. Had one of the longest winning streaks of all time. But before he ever won one national championship, what most people don't know is that John Wooden had coached 15 years before he won one. He was consistently pouring into these kids, consistently teaching them, consistently doing this time and time again until it started to show up in the external, which is exactly what Nehemiah did. He was consistently praying as a cupbearer. He was consistently falling on his knees for his people. He was consistently weeping. And then the opportunity arose. He prayed about it and boom, he goes 52 days later. Voila, there is a wall around the city. People couldn't do it for 90 years. There was all sorts of oppression. People trying to stop it. They had to build the wall with their sword at their side. They had one guy building while one guy was protecting him. It's not like he showed up one day and God says, man, you've been praying. That's so awesome. I'm just going to get rid of all the bad guys for you. Just take your time and build the wall. No, he showed up armed. People still didn't want the wall built and they did it anyways. There was leadership because he understood the power of prayer. One. The second thing, he built a wall. But what kind of wall did he build, right? It says in Nehemiah 3.8, he built a broad wall a large wall, a wide wall around this city, right? In Nehemiah 2, 17, it says to them, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. 
Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. He realized that while there wasn't a wall there, there was disgrace for them. There wasn't a wall. What, what do walls do? They, they separate things, right? People on the left and the right, the sheep and the goats, the light and the darkness. Walls separate. There is a habit that we can get into to say, well, when they went back to Jerusalem 50 years earlier, they built their church. Well, kind of, right? To them at the time, it was a temple. It was the place where God resided. It was the Holy of Holies. It was their way of interacting with God Almighty. So without that there, they didn't have the Holy Spirit living in their lives, right? They didn't have, Jesus hadn't shown up yet on the scene. So this was their way to interact with God. So when they put the temple there, it was there, but it had no wall of protection around it. There was no way to protect. So the light and the darkness was mingling. The evil and the good was mingling. Like when they came into the promised land, it said, do not marry these heathens, right? What did we do? We mingled. And every time we mingle, we cause problems. There's, there's a sense that I often have is like, well, I'm going to learn this and I'll go out there into the world and I'm going to apply it. But, you know, it's, it's okay that if we kind of mingle with them a little bit, right? Because that's how we're relevant is if we mingle. And God's like, that's not how you're relevant. There is no mingling God's word with the word of man. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. You are to be set apart. As we call around here, you are to be a high bar, Right? There's no mingling between these two worlds. This was so important that they were building a wall in between it. They were keeping that out of their lives, which begs the question, what wall do you need to build in your life? Do you need to build a wall around your wife, your kids, your heart? Many of us have left our wives exposed, right? We haven't been the leaders. We haven't built a wall around them. We haven't served them well. We aren't asking what their needs are. We aren't spending daily time listening to them. We're trying to fix it or we're checking a box. We, we don't care enough to build a wall around them. Some of it's our kids. Now, we don't, you know, they're kids, right? They should be able to listen to that music or talk that way or go to that event, right? I don't want to be that dad. We haven't built that wall around some of it's our own hearts. We're like, well, you know, I've got to make money, right? I've got to make a name for myself. And we forget that the heart is deceitful among all things. And who can trust it? We haven't built a wall around our own hearts to protect our own purity, our own eyesight, our own thoughts. And this was so important that it's been down for 90 years and Nehemiah so, felt it so important, it only took him 52 days to get this done. Because when you've been in prayer about something that God wants you to do, and you realize it's that important to protect the Holy of Holies, to protect the Holy of Holies, then you don't waste any time building that wall. You spend every hour of every minute of every day pouring into the legacy of your children, of pouring into your wife, of reorganizing your life. You don't wait until, well, let's wait until this study gets done. We need to at least get through the eight weeks of Max Anders' book before we start. No, we do it now. God isn't going to make it easy. You're going to have to be in prayer. You have to, every step, every step of the way, he's going to have to guide you. You may have to work with the sword on your side, but you've got to build that wall. I don't know if you guys have ever um, 
read online or seen the, the tomb of the unknown soldier in Arlington, uh, the Arlington Memorial Cemetery. But it's something really amazing to me. Since 1937, this tomb has been guarded 24 hours a day, seven days a week without fail. Here's a picture right here. They march 21 steps and then they wait 21 seconds before turning and marching another one 21 steps in honor of the 21-gun salute, which is the highest honor of dying for your country, right? It doesn't matter if there's a terrorist attack. It doesn't matter if there's a tsunami. It doesn't matter if God himself comes down. They're guarding this tomb 24-7, right? I am amazed that we would spend this much time and in, in a sense, I'm honored that we would spend this much time with people that have fallen for us. But why won't we spend this much time for those that are still living with us? These guys spend six hours the day before prepping their uniform so they can guard the dead people. How much time do you spend in the Word of God or in prayer so that you can guard the people in your own house? How much time do I do? If you go to my house and you ask, and you, if I'm being completely honest, there is not a broad wall around my children. There's a slightly dinky wall that they can probably hop over, right? Is there a broad wall around my wife? Probably not. Because I'm not in daily prayer about that. Is there a broad wall around my heart? No. The guys in my community group are reminding me time and time again to be, Jason, you're not in prayer. You're not walking with God on a daily basis. He's not abiding in your heart every single day. And there's not a broad wall. And I'm exposed. So I don't have, I'm not putting it up. I'm not making it a top priority in my life. This is exactly what Nehemiah did. We say it's a book on leadership. It's only a book on leadership because it's a book of prayer. And he only knew what to do because he was in prayer and knew the will of God and he knew where to start. And he knew where to start and when he knew where to start, he was able to accomplish it quickly in 52 days. Guys, when we sit today and we talk at our table, I got two questions I want you to ask. The first question is, what in your life needs to have a wall built around it? It was Jerusalem for Nehemiah, right? It was the temple where God was. But what is that? Is that your heart? Is that your family? What is that? And the second question is, what is stopping you from rebuilding that wall? Understand that question. The fact that it says rebuilding, the re part means that it was once there. It suggests that we're going back to where we were. It's like when we say rejoice or return. It's the go back to a state that was there before. Kind of like returning to the Garden of Eden. Returning to how God had originally designed it. How do we rebuild what was already there? You got married to your wife because she thoroughly and wholeheartedly trusted you and loved you and wanted to spend her entire life with you. And I'm guessing over time that, re- that wall crumbles because we've made bad decisions, we've led poorly, we haven't poured wholeheartedly into the love and protection and into their heart. How do we rebuild that wall? And what does that look like to you? Man, these are powerful questions, guys. And guess what? If we need other men around us to help flush these out. So as we sit at our tables today, let's start here. 
let's start by saying, hey, what, what wall is this? What wall are we missing in our lives? Which wall do we need to put back? And what is stopping us from doing it? Because those are the things that are stopping us from doing the will of God. And when we do the will of God, that means we get to abide with him on a daily basis and walk closely, walk next to him. And what's better than walking next to God, right? Okay. Two questions to start our table. We'll talk in a little bit, guys. Love you.